This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three wonderful people. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, and 36 Dingo. It is also made possible by all of my Patreons. And if you want to become a patron, www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I have uh, Super Inframan. Hello, hello. And the one and only Red Pill Junkie. Buenas noches. So all you people saying, where's Red Pill Junkie? He's right here. Yeah, yeah. Just being returned uh, by the benevolent alien overlords. Are, are those the same aliens they, that are making you create a tarot deck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are, they are very, very demanding editors, Soraya. <laughs> Your tarot cards look beautiful. Oh, thank you. I got I hope so. I mean, <laughs> oh, they look great. They look great. And, uh, I, I'm glad you're back. I noticed a couple of other different uh, folks mentioning that they hadn't heard from you a while, too, from some of the other uh, people that do podcasts and things. And I was like, man, like, obviously, we love you. But I'm like, people really miss Red Pill's voice, you know? <laughs> well, thank you to all the people who have missed me. I mean, uh yeah, I decided to give myself some kind of break, not only because of the tarot deck work, which demands a lot of uh, attention and it really drains drains me uh, physically, even you know, sort of emotionally, but also because of personal reasons that I decided to like, uh, you know, seek a bit of solitude uh, to process some. Uh, some things that needed some processing and uh well i mean i'm sure i'm not the only one who's had a really rough time the last couple of years it's, it almost feels like every single one of us is suffering from some kind of like ptsd yeah uh <laughs> i was talking to uh vanessa Walico. you know you know her her soraya i think so vanessa is yeah, she's a, a, a wonderful artist, and she, she has a podcast, Pants Personals, I think is the name. And I was talking to her about how, yeah, uh, uh, everybody's dealing it, it, with all these problems, like the kind of things that we thought that only happens in, in apocalyptic uh, Hollywood movies, but at the same time, we never had in those movies like the kind of a scenario like, oh yeah, like uh, the giant robot is destroying the city, but your boss still wants you to report to work tomorrow <laughs> at 9 a.m. sharp. <laughs> this is true. Like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, my advice to you guys, hang in there. Everybody's going through their own personal uh, existential problem, but you know, like 
the saying goes, if you're if you're going through hell, just keep going. Keep going, yeah. You know? uh, yeah, absolutely. I just recorded a podcast with Taylor. Uh, I know Octavian was a part of it. I haven't listened to it, so I don't know who else is on it. But that's exactly what it was, is like telling stories about how you got through rough times. So if people are uh, – I, I, it may be helpful for people who are going through crap right now. So check out the Green Lion podcast because it's the only episode he's put out for a while. He's only going to do them occasionally. I'll have to check that out too. I haven't got to listen to the Green Lion in a little bit. Oh, he hasn't done anything in a little bit. Oh, that's fair too. But yeah, he just wanted stories of like what did what what did you do when when things got rough? How did you get through it, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, you you do get through it. And that's the key is to keep going. Right. Exactly. Hmm. Um. So tonight, I'm not sure exactly where this is going to go. So we're going to start with, uh, well, first of all, I want to start with this story that you told us, uh, Super Inframan, about uh, <laughs> these footprints that I don't remember you ever telling me before. It doesn't mean you didn't, but it doesn't even sound familiar. Okay. You know what? I, I think I probably just told it to Tim, uh, you know, uh, just through uh, instant messenger or something like that at some point. Um uh, and I, I may have shared it on my Instagram at, uh, at some point as well, but it, it's my only, I guess, uh, brush with something like uh, a Sasquatch or something like that. And, and very much not a flesh and blood uh, perspective on this. Uh, when I was about I was between 10 and 12, I can't quite remember, uh, but Wintertime, it had snow, uh, snowed, and uh, my mom and dad and I lived in uh, very deep in the country, lots of timber around us, lots of deer trails for, for miles and miles and miles. And uh, my dad was a, a incredibly experienced outdoorsman, and my mom also, too. Um, and we were out going through some of the trails, just kind of like looking at the snow and all these things, seeing what we could see out there. And we were probably about... I don't know, maybe a, a mile, maybe a mile and a half at most from our house. But, you know, this is deep in the woods at that point. And uh, there was a clear patch. And uh, my mom noticed these, these tracks going ahead that probably about went on for about 20 yards. And, uh, you know, one of those things where she's like, what what are these? And calls my dad over and I'm looking at him, too. And so we follow the tracks for a while trying to figure out what they are. And these things are, you know, probably uh, I'm, I'm holding my hands in the air in front of me trying to guess how much the distance is. But, you know, I would say a good 20 inches, 18 to 20 inches mm. uh, long. Mm. And after about 20 yards, they go opposite directions. And, you know, <laughs> it. It's just weird. It was weird. And, uh, you know, I was talking before the show. If I had not been around my parents all day because, you know, we were stuck inside because of the weather, I would have thought that they were like kind of playing a joke on me or something because it just didn't make sense to me that, you know, suddenly the right foot went to the right and the left foot went exactly 180 degrees in the other direction. And then, of course, they both just disappeared, you know, stopped. But, um, you know, my, my brain at the time was like, this reminds me of the cartoons where, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny's under the snow, 
going towards a tree and his ears split and go around the tree and come back together. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like this. And, and so for the longest time after that, I, I, I thought it was fake, I, but I couldn't figure out how it was because it was so far away from anybody else that could have done it. And, you know, my parents could have identified the tracks if it was something that we knew was local to the area. Um, but my mom still talks about it. And as I've gotten older, you know, going back and revisiting that memory and that experience, I'm like, oh, you know, this sounds like some of the stranger experiences of a uh, not corporal uh, Sasquatch character or something like that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that I bought my mom Josh and Tim's books uh, because it was so appropriate to that story. And I mean, it, it instantly made sense to her. She was like, well, yeah, this is just like, you know, uh, in line with those footprints we saw when you were a kid during the snow, you know. Uh, too, too and she still talks about that story. Too Go bad ahead, you didn't have a cell phone to take pictures with. No, uh, unfortunately, yo, this is uh, probably 1990, yeah, 1992. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We might have taken some... Uh, yeah, I don't think we did take photos of that. Uh, if we did, they're they're long gone. I don't remember us going back out there though. Um, but yeah, I mean, totally bizarre. We we lived quite a, a ways off the highway, you know, way out of the city, deep in the woods. I mean, for somebody to have even tried to uh, fake that, they would have had to make a lot of effort to get ahead of us. And the, the area where we live literally is uh, thousands of acres around of a forest. Right. So it, somebody didn't ride a, a four-wheeler out there and predict that we were going to walk to that one specific place and, you know, stage some some random footprints. that And then remove their tracks. Yeah, and then remove their tracks, made sure mm-hmm. there were no, like, ATV tracks or anything like that. So it, it was really odd. Um, and I think... My mom, of course, is uh, she grew up in logging country and things like that. It's almost like she skipped a generation. So stories about the hate, things like that, ghosts, whatever, were very, you know, in her wheelhouse. Right. Uh, whereas my dad was just not exposed to those things. So I was always kind of curious to watch them talk about it because, you know, she had a lot of value in things that we didn't understand. And then, you know, for him, he just put it out of his mind because it didn't make sense, but it must have mm-hmm. an explanation, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does your mom have other experiences? So she does. Uh, the one that's probably the biggest, Soraya, um, my mom got hit by a car in the mid-70s. Wow. Oh. And she had a near-death experience. Okay. Um, and so I... I look back and I kind of wonder how that may have set me on, on the road to end up where we all know each other. Yeah. Uh, because we grew up with that as something that she talked about. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a drunk driver, went over a hill really fast, you know, hit her uh, in the side and threw her quite a ways. And, you know, this is back in the, uh, the mid seventies when women were, uh, hair rollers in their hair, you know, to, to do their hair to make it curly and all those yeah, things. Yeah. So she was actually out walking with her hair rollers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably what protected her because it was like she had on a helmet. Yeah. Goofy as that sounds. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, you know they they had to rebuild her legs essentially, so she had rods in her legs. She still has one of them left, but uh, so she had it quite a long time in the hospital after this. What uh, but, uh, did she actually yeah, but, die, or did she just have the near death experience? So she didn't actually die, but she had the near death experience, and it, it was very uh, very straightforward. Uh, what we would call you know typical at this point. But she saw herself in the operating room, you know, when they were trying to stabilize her and take care of everything, saw what the doctors were doing and everything, floated up further, uh, you know, saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And I, I never could get much detail out of her about the person or whatever it was she encountered, but it was a silhouette with the light behind them. And told her she had to go back. Hmm. Uh, you know, that she wasn't finished doing stuff and she needed to go back. <laughs> and uh, then the, the, the figure said, you can't enter to heaven looking like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What's the matter with you, lady? lady? <laughs> Get your hair done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and, and that was it. Was, uh, you know, you've got to go back. And then, uh, you know, the next thing she's coming out of uh, anesthesia. So, but it, it was interesting to have that influence on her growing up in the South, particularly too, where we were in the Bible belt. And also my mom kind of having skipped a generation where I have cousins that are older than my mother. She came along very late. So like my oldest aunt was more like my grandmother than my actual grandmother was. Cause she passed away so long ago. Uh, so folk tales and all those things were just alive in our family. And uh, it, it was, you know, set me up to be far more open minded when we were going to the Baptist church down the road and things like that. Mm. Yeah. But I think that would probably be what I would characterize the biggest one. You know, she and I uh, will get into long conversations about this when I'm at home visiting with her. And uh, I, I've shared on the show before, in fact, uh, it was the three of us where she would talk about like my grandfather seeing the fireball come down from the sky when he was out fishing and the beautiful lady stepping out of it. Um, but there's there's no part of the story after that, whatever that was, it's been forgotten. Um, but he thought it was an angel stepping out of the fireball. And of course, now it's like that sure does sound like a, uh, you know, a, a tall white or whatever we might call it. Right, right. Huh. I would rather call it an angel. <laughs> it, he called it an angel. You know? I mean, he thought it was an angel. I and, mean, thinking that calling it a tall white and, uh, you know, spacecraft is a better description, I feel that it's uh, kind of like a, mis a cultural mistake. That, that, no, you're right. And it probably does a disservice to, like, how he was trying to relate the experience because the exactly. detail is – that was really interesting to that too, is he said he heard music all around as she was coming out. Right. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where that was his lens for it. You know, mm -hmm. now he might've explained it that way you know, as more of like a, a UFO alien entity, but we don't know what it was. Uh, but the, you know, we, we have the point of reference of people describing similar things. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, so interesting stuff. Um, I actually really want to sit down with my mom 
sometime in the next year and just record these stories. I was going to say, uh, yeah. Because she, she's getting older now and like, you know, some of the details are starting to disappear and things like that. And I think it would be good to, to have those. She would tell me a story uh, and I'll tell this one quickly because uh, I, I want Red Pill to talk about some of his stuff, too. And I don't want to bogart our time. You're fine. But, uh, <laughs> OK, uh, you know, I, I told you about, you know, we grew up in logging country or she grew up in logging country. And this is, you know, uh early to mid 1900s from a lot of these stories come from, but her uncle would uh, load up his wagon and uh, put goods in there. And uh, I, I believe he was hauling cotton at the time and take it to market. And he had a mule that would pull the cart and he would sit on it, you know, with his, uh, the, those two long leather reins, you know, to uh, control the uh, mule. Right. And there was a shortcut to get back to where he lived, you know, he's going through the woods and all these old country areas and things, but nobody liked to go through there at night because supposedly there was a thing called the Hank that lived there. And, uh, he decided that that night he was tired and he was going to ride through where the Hank was. And, uh, you know, so he gets the mule going really fast because he's like, I'm going to cut through here. This thing, whatever it is, isn't going to bother me. And uh, he hit something uh, such that the uh, it scared the mule. Uh, he ended up using some kind of quick release thing to let the mule get off because the mule was panicking, lifted his wagon up off of whatever it was he hit, pulled it forward, took off as much as he could, got the mule, put it back on there, and then took off again to get out of there safely. Probably hit a stump. But... Uh, you know, he thought he had hit the Hank. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other family story I really like that uh, all my aunts tell. Uh, my grandfather and my two uncles would walk back from the sawmill every night. And they walked past a, an old church. And every time they would go past the church, there would be a guy sitting on the roof of the church. And uh, which which is odd enough as it is, but there was a uh, a buddy of theirs that had decided to play a prank on them. So earlier in the evening, he got a ladder, climbed up on the church, and sat up there, and was waiting for my grandfather and my uncles to come by. And my grandfather and uncles, you know, as the evening gets on, come walking up, and my grandfather goes, "Oh look, there's two of them up there tonight." And uh, I forget the name of the prankster, but he looked to his side and there was somebody on the roof of the church with him and uh, scared him so much. He fell off. (laughs) The other person that was up there disappeared and, you know, (laughs) they they helped him. And that was the end of that. But, uh, you know, it, the old South, the old poor South. Uh, is fascinating to me because I, I'm sure you could probably find a lot of stories like this in Appalachia or something. But uh, well, that's kind of kind of what Steve Stockton did is collect those <laughs> type of stories from that area. Yeah, yeah, from the Smoky Mountains and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting how it, it was such a like take it in stride kind of thing. Like it was just taken for granted that weird stuff happens. Uh, they blame mm-hmm. things a lot on what they called the Wampus Cat. Uh, which was not 
like a cougar or anything like that, but it was something that they would go hunt periodically and they would hear it screaming at night, which does sound like a cougar. Yeah. But they, they had their own concept of it. Uh, and my grandfather had a, a wampus cat foot. Supposedly he kept as a good luck charm, but it was probably something else. You know, I think, uh, the wampus cat, if it existed was something more paranormal than flesh and blood. Right. Um, right. Right. You know, th- those are things that just, they're very fascinating to dig into some of that because it has a very pedestrian reaction for most people. We're like, oh, there's two of them up there tonight. Not like, oh my gosh, you know, just, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this is just part of walking home every night. Yeah, there's that ghost on top of the steeple there or on top of the roof, you know? <laughs> we just walk past it and act like it's normal. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what, what I wanted to, to uh, mention that all these uh, stories you're sharing with us they all have that kind of like uh pranksy quality to them uh-huh. and also mm-hmm. the idea of how uh people reacted to them you know even uh i mean your mom and and and, and, and you and your and your father finding those uh footprints and the fact that you know, they kept discussing that over the years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if there's something that, you know, they will laugh about it or they will just say, oh, you remember that one of those things. But the fact that it wasn't something uh, traumatic, right. it wasn't something that uh, terrorized them or that seemed to inflict any sort of trauma. Right. I guess it goes to show, you know, how uh, the culture can definitely influence the way that we react to this yeah. sort of phenomenon. I mean, with with uh, Native Americans, there is this idea of also taking for granted these sort of things, this sort of, uh, you know, encounters, encounters with Bigfoot or, or strange lights seen in the forest. Like, it's something like, yeah, they, they, they accept that they happen, but at the same time, they don't uh, do an effort to to have these experiences. You know, they right, like uh, right. they don't go chase after Bigfoot. In fact, uh, they try to avoid it. Right. Yeah. You know, I think I think among some Native Native American cultures, it is considered a bad omen or bad luck to see something like the Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Whereas, obviously, with uh, our Western mentality. Uh, the the idea of yeah we go hunt for for Bigfoot go chase down this uh, this hominid creature as it is considered by most cryptozoologists. But I, I wonder what would have happened if someone you know like a city folk like me would have encountered those footprints. Right. Know, maybe maybe what scared the the dickens out of me, or or maybe if I had seen also that uh, other person on the roof, that also would have you know caused me to to have a big fright. Right. So yeah, that that's that that to me is the thing that's inter- interesting because yeah, especially the the anecdote of the footprints is so absurd. Yeah, that yeah. The, the fact you equated with uh, a cartoon, like one of those old Warner Brothers or Tech Savory cartoons, in which yeah. 
the animators, they knew that everything goes. You know, yeah. you can break all the rules, including physics, right. in order to push the gag as much as you could. So to, to get the, the the most reaction out of the public in the, in the case of that is, is to, you know, to have a laugh. But in the case of these footprints, what was the ultimate <laughs> goal? I don't know if it is just at least for the anecdote to remain part of your family uh, tradition. I mean, it's something that obviously will, you, you will probably tell your kids and your grandkids right, years right. and decades to come. And now it is being shared at a larger audience thanks to the, the magic of podcasting. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yes, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I, I think my favorite part of it is exactly what you're talking about, because it was just such an accepted part of of life, uh, you know, for them growing up with my mom and my my aunts and my uncles, you know, um, growing up kind of like deep in you know parts of the country that weren't very developed back then still. And um, they just were like, yeah, you know, like there were two of those guys up there tonight. Yeah, it was funny, <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes it interesting and you know the story with the footprints like my mom and i still talk about that you know just about any holiday when i'm home for a little bit of time like inevitably she'll mention that story um and back when you know everybody was a bit younger you know in the south when you have holidays you'd probably do one where like all of your you know aunts and uncles would get together and things like that they would mm-hmm bring these stories up and tell them, you know, uh, now we're just, everybody's older and spread apart and in nursing homes and things. Um, but that was just kind of like the, the family folklore that were fun stories to tell. And sometimes they were to laugh about, and sometimes they were, you know, more of like just being curious than anything else or being intrigued by it. Like probably even them being intrigued at how, uh, accepting they were of that when they were younger and now like, man, that actually does sound pretty strange, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you should, you should do an entire uh, recording with your mom and we should air it on the show. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. She, uh, she has a lot of stories to tell. You can even do it as a video. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other the other thing we were talking about yeah was a question you had for Red Pill based on one of Red Pill's tweets. Well, so not a sort of a question, which, uh, as much as a comment, I guess. Yeah, it it in Red Pill, I, I think if you just want to launch into it, uh, there I don't think I need to set the stage for it uh, because you did a much better job of explaining than I did bringing it up to you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and obviously I don't know when uh, Soraya is going to. Uh, release this this one, but something that happened uh, this week, actually, you know, like uh, we're recording this, we're, we're recording this on June twenty third. All right. So uh, what happened on June twenty second or twenty first is that George Knapp, you know, that uh, the reporter that is famous for promoting the Bob Lazar controversial UFO story and and also for bringing attention to Skinwalker Ranch in the 1990s. 
he released uh, a new special report on on his uh, the TV station he works on KLAS TV on Las Vegas with regards to the uh, UAP task force that was created after Lou Elizondo uh, abandoned ATIP in 2017 and after apparently there was like uh, someone else taking over ATIP and because of the, of, of all the hoopla and the uproar that that story caused there were people in Congress that took attention to that and decided to you know uh, instead of doing the opposite that the White House and the Congress do, which is to sweep UFO, this UFO subject under the rock, this time I, we can say it was differently and they decided to take matters into action and there was this law that enacted the creation of a new UAP task force that was going to uh, create a report for Congress uh, that was released last year. I think it was in June or July, if, if memory yeah, serves. Yeah, June. Yeah, it was June. That's correct. Okay, so yeah, well, coming almost to a year since uh, the idea that uh, this tax force released this uh, report, which was consisted in two parts. One uh, was a classified part of the report and the unclassified in which they kind of like made an assessment of all the information they could gather uh, about all these, you know, UFO encounters that have happened among military personnel, especially the Navy, the Tic Tac and the Gimbal and all the things that you guys probably know at nauseum by now. And yeah, I think some in the report, there was the idea of like 144 cases that were investigated in the short time, time the, the UAP task force had to, to look into these matters. And they found like, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm misremembering, but something to the effect of 143 or something of those cases were still considered to be uh, uh, unknown yeah. of, of an unknown cause, if, if memory serves. Uh, anyway, to make a long story short, George Knapp suddenly disclosed that Travis Taylor, uh, a scientist that has gained a lot of popularity recently because of his involvement with uh, several reality TV shows on the History Channel, including The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, and other shows, I think at one time I, I saw him uh, in some kind of like show about Nikola Tesla, in which mm. they tried to recreate one of his famous experiments, the idea of uh, trying to uh, like transmit electricity to uh, some light bulbs that were uh, put on the ground, and right. they actually managed to do it, which was kind of cool. But anyway, this guy, uh, it's now known that he was the lead scientist for the government's UAP task force. Okay. Something that apparently not even Brandon Fugel or, or all the people he's been working on at Skinwalker Ranch in Utah uh, were privy to. 
because, I mean, obviously the guy had to sign some non-disclosure, you know, secret um, agreements with uh, the government. So, yeah, that's that's the thing that's been uh, in everybody's mind recently and everybody's talking about it and everybody has a different opinion about it. Uh, there's a lot of people who think this is uh, a very bad thing that it puts into question this guy's uh, credibility. I mean, he's, they say, how, how, how could this guy who is taking some kind of like personal or financial interest in promoting the mysterious or paranormal aspect of UFOs on a regular basis for, for these TV shows, how could he uh, objectively assess the quality of the evidence that he was presented to during his term, his this, his term at the UAP task force? You know, they, they see a big conflict of interest and, and, and they accuse him of being unethical. Whereas of other people who defend him and say, no, 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 you know, the fact that he never mentioned this to his friends at the Skinwalker Ranch, talk about the guy's integrity, you know, and his ability to keep a secret and to and to keep his various, various interests compartmentalized. You know, and they keep reminding people that this guy is a real scientist. He has, uh, I, th I think he has two PhDs, actually, which is pretty impressive. And he's worked, he's done work for NASA. He's, he's written uh, several uh, scientific papers. He's, he, I think he's even written uh, test, textbooks that are being used you know, to teach classes at uh, at a college level or something to that effect, which, you know, goes to show that the guy is no, uh, you know, he's not a, what do you call this, a, a, a make-believe scientist. Right. 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 Like he's the real deal. So getting back to my tweet, what I was trying to give an opinion of is that I don't question Travis Taylor's scientific credentials, nor he's committed to science. But the fact that he was appointed to be at the head of, uh, you know, the scientific effort for this UAP task force, and he's also involved with all this thing with the Skinwalker Ranch, which everything is tied back to Robert Bigelow, if yeah. you go back long yes. enough. It goes to show just how small and interconnected. Well, I guess I used the, the word incestuous because I couldn't think of a better term for it. But it goes to show you just how like small of these, uh, I don't know what called this, boys club or something, of all the people who have a direct influence in, in the modern public opinion of UFOs. And I don't know how I feel about it. I, I guess it's something that should concern us all, not because these guys may have some kind of like secret agenda as they are being now currently 
being accused of, you know, like everybody think of uh, Robert Bigelow as the almost like a Bond villain, yeah, <laughs> with, a, yeah. with a secret lair and a bald cat <laughs> just sitting on a leather, leather chair and saying, "My plan is going as expected." You know, of duping the whole world into believing in in UFOs and 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 werewolves in at the Skinwalker Ranch. I don't think that's the case, but at the same time, it's kind of disturbing that whenever it comes to UFOs and the government's involvement to try to understand them, all the same people have been involved in that from, you know, this almost like the 70s to the present day. You know, Hall Putoff and Robert Bigelow and Kit Green and <laughs> Rick Doty. Uh, yeah. And now yeah. Travis Taylor, you know, who is, I don't want to say he's connected to 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 Bigelow directly, but I remember that some of the people who were involved in the Bass study that was launched by the OSA program in 2008, I mean, they, they kind of like picked him up because of his involvement with <laughs> this King Walker Ranch TV show, which is nuts, you know, this is... It's almost like the whole world has become one ginormous reality TV show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Without commercial breaks. Yeah. (laughs) You know, my my spidey sense on this is kind of twofold because, you know, I... And this is nothing negative on, on Travis by any means. But sometimes when you know the kind of work people produce, uh, you go to those people because you know it's going to be the answer that you want without having to influence it. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, you, you make the right recommendations, get you know, influence somebody to make the right choice and who you want to write the report. And even without manipulating things, you end up with the answers that you want out there. Um, and, and that's something that happens in a lot of parts of the world. That's just kind of like how we tailor statistics by changing the question a little bit, uh, to get the answers we want. And so that, that, that's something that when you put that tweet up, it bothered me because I was like, I, I thought you raised a good point of having other voices involved that have not always been a part of this to bring that fresh perspective. And also when you, you keep tapping the same groups of folks, particularly with that reality TV show aspect, you know, the, there's not room for the narrative to really change on anything. Um, it can. And, uh, and I, I don't want to say that I, or, or give the impression that I'm questioning the integrity of uh, the guy that wrote the report. I, I'm sure it was genuine, but just that, you know, you want diversity in the eyes that look at, um, I don't want to call this a problem, but uh, the challenges of understanding what's going on here with UAPs and whatever else we're seeing in the skies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, Travis Taylor is someone who wants to come, um, uh, 
come out to the public as 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 being a scientist who was very skeptical about UFOs and, and and all that until his involvement with the Skinwalker Ranch research, and that's when he, he says that he started to. I think I want one of his quotes is I've seen more UFOs than I can count which is okay you know Uh, and it's it's difficult to react to that is is that oh is is it because now that you are in a place in a a specific place where there's a lot of UFO activity or is it maybe because now that you have changed your stance with regards to the UFO phenomenon suddenly you find yourself uh, noticing things that probably you you didn't notice before. Maybe it's like synchronicities, right? You know, once you start paying attention to synchronicities, there comes a point in which you almost, almost feel like everything that happens in your life is a synchronicity. That's when you kind of like need to reel back and say, well, no, 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 you know, just because I've now checked that my, my, my clock and it's 11-11 doesn't mean that it's a special message from the universe. But I mean, yeah, it's hard not to say that it, it it brings to question how objective he was when he evaluated the UAP task force evidence as it was presented to him. Like, I mean, and it's obvious that George Knapp, I have, I have nothing against George, but obviously uh, Jeremy Corbell is his protege, right? And mm-hmm. I do have something against Jeremy Corbell. I think he's a guy who has, you know, tried to manipulate the UFO phenomenon in ways that I do not, do not approve of, like for personal aggrandization, you oh, know, and certainly. personal, you know, uh, promotion, you know, weaponize your curiosity and all that, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, obviously, Jeremy Corbell what, when when the Congress hearings on UFOs that happened last month occurred, uh, there was a big winner and a big loser. The big winner was Mick West because you know all these people who who appeared before Congress, they showed a couple of videos, and one of them was this video that was leaked to Jeremy Corbell. And that he promoted to God knows how many uh, TV shows around the world, not just in the United States, as claiming that it was the one of the best, best evidence of UFOs that the government had collected. And that it showed what he claimed were pyramid objects that were swarming uh, over uh, a U.S. Navy vessel. In- yeah. 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mick West, uh, you know, the, the famous uh, skeptic who has tried to debunk all these uh, videos, he said, no, no, I mean, those are not really pyramids. Those just, those are just the, the, the result or the effect of the lens of the camera that uh, creates something that is well known in photography and in the special effects industry. I think his name is Bokeh, mm-hmm. you know. And in the case of an infrared camera, yes, it totally shows uh, triangular reflections that 
were misinterpreted by Corvell saying, oh, yeah, those are flying pyramids. And in the hearings, um, one of those people who testified before Congress said, yeah, this, that, that is the conclusion that we arrived at. Those are just regular drones that were flown over over the ship. But the, the reason that it, it, it looks like triangles or pyramids is because of the camera. So that was a, 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 a huge... Uh, black eye on on Corbell, and I, I really thought that he he wouldn't be able to recover from that. But obviously, I mean, this is ufology, you know. Uh, everybody are like vampires, you know. No matter how many stakes you you <laughs> thrust into their hearts, they keep rising from their from it's, their it's, their, it's their coffins. The, it's the same as politics and professional wrestling. People have short <laughs> memories. They yeah. do. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, George Knapp is obviously that is using this new uh, revelation about Travis Taylor to defend Corvell because Taylor is saying that when the UAP task force analyzed that video, they concluded that they weren't drones. Right. You know, for, for some reason. I, I, I don't know what kind of like rationale or, or methodolo methodology they employed in order to reach that conclusion. But it kind of it's weird, you know. I mean, I don't know how anybody could say that that video in particular is anything anomalous. But at the same time, this, there's this guy Travis Taylor, you know, in, scientist with impressive credentials, saying, "No, no, no. We analyzed it and we concluded that it's a, 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 a they are true anomalous objects. So what keeps? It's really confusing." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's because I think there is a predetermined thing they're pushing. Yeah. Possibly. For whatever reason, you know, I mean, who knows what the, the, the bigger plan on all this is. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's just, I, don't all, know. I mean, to me, it's just junk. I don't even pay attention to it. I try not to, but I mean, it's like ever since uh, Elizondo and to the stars crashed the UFO scene in 2017, it's kind of like the only game in town, right? Mm -hmm. You know, forever, for better, for worse, and I think for worse, uh, Elizondo and all these guys changed the course of ufology in the 21st century. Uh, and yeah, it, it really feels like there's some kind of like uh, hidden agenda uh, going on uh, behind curtains. Uh, I don't know, Elizondo uh, keeps coming with uh, claims and, and things he says that are more and more outrageous. Oh. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into what he said in his last interview with regards to the the origin of the word nat national so socialism. And you know, I mean, I, I think I, I he, don't even know what he said. Oh God! <laughs> uh, well, to make, and I'm sure people will say, no, 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 that's not what he said, or not, that's not what he meant. But he was he he kind of tried to make some kind of like a political statement about you know left and right politics uh, 
by saying that uh, to say that Nazis were right wing may not be accurate because in the world of the party, there was the German National Socialist, uh, Socialist Party, and we know that socialist means, you know, left wing politics. So were they really the right wing or, or left wing? According to him, which to me is a very stupid thing to say. Yes. Because, yeah, maybe at one point the National Socialist Party, which was it was one of the, the small uh, labor parties that existed in, in Bavaria, in Germany, back in the 1920s, that was kind of like co-opted and hijacked by Hitler and his uh, minions. And yeah, they probably at one point they wanted to promote themselves as being, you know, people who wanted to fight for the rights of, you know, work, work, workers in Germany. But we all know what happened then, you know, after they rose into power. They went and chased down and and, 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 right, and put right. in prison all the, all the communists, you know. Yeah. And they were totally anti-communism. I mean, yes, the Nazis uh, struck a deal with, with Stalin in Russia at one point because they saw some kind of like a strategic, strategic benefit in not confronting the uh, uh, Stalin, but at one point they, they totally double crossed cross him and they in, invaded Russia in the end. So to say, or to someone to try to whitewash uh, national socialism and try to play that those kind of like right wing tactics of saying, well, you know, we really don't know who were the bad guys here or whether they were, you know left wings or right wings it's it's kind of like the modern uh thing that is happening of saying people saying you are the fascist no no you are the fascist <laughs> right you know that but right and, and and elizondo is obviously playing with that to his benefit because i mean he's making his intentions clear that he wants to run for congress and the more and more I see it, he obviously wants to use not only the UFO platform, but also a kind of like right-wing platform uh, that has been becoming more and more prevalent in the United States since the rise of uh, Trump and Trumpism in, you know, in, in 2016. But so, so was this part of him talking about UFOs and then this came up? Not really. I mean, oh, okay. it was... Uh, I mean, I, I listened to half of of, uh, of the interview. It was like uh, half an hour, and he made an appearance on some podcast. I, I think the name of the podcast is Veterans for UAP Discussion or something to that effect. So these are guys who are obviously interested in, in, in UFOs, but they also happen to be uh, American veterans. And I guess uh, they asked Elizondo a favor and Elizondo acquiesced because he had said that he didn't want to do any more uh, interviews, that he was kind of like retired. He was disgusted from the from the scene, but he did make this one exception. Mm, okay. And he said that, you know, and, and it's just one of the things that he's saying that they're so kind of like outrageous and... and and he's also accused all the people who have criticized him or who question his credentials. 
he almost says that uh, every all of them are being paid for oh, by course. someone, you know, like I don't know Stephen Greer or or the government. I mean, he's kind of like saying uh, that there are people in the Pentagon who are after him and who are trying to make him some kind of like a scapegoat. And that's why there's all been all this controversy with regards to his involvement with the AT program. Um, people questioning whether he was actually the director or not, how much of his involvement he was. And it's difficult to know what's what because he says one thing and then he writes another thing. And there's this book about the skinwalkers in the Pentagon that, that that was released last year that was written by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp and this other guy, James Lakatsky, who was the, the director of ATIP or, or OSAP, actually, and who, who was apparently the guy who uh, hired Elizondo into the job in the first place because, and this is something that is in, even part of uh, Elizondo's uh, internal internal government complaint against the people he he claims he they are like uh, the slandering his reputation. Apparently, Lakaski told him that the OSA program needed needed someone who was an expert in counterintelligence to help them with their uh, UFO program. Mm. You know, so obviously. This guy, it begs the question, why, why does a UFO program need an expert in counterintelligence? At one point in, in that document, which is uh, was recently released on Dropbox, by the way, uh, you can find it if you, if you uh, search it uh, through Twitter. Uh, they say that they needed someone who will be able to fend uh, possible infiltrations by you know foreign governments with okay. regards to all these uh uap incursions on on sensitive uh american uh territories you know mm -hmm. so i guess what i'm getting at because obviously it is so confusing it it is a narrative that as the years go by it is get it is becoming murkier and murkier, and if it is getting murkier, my gut tells me uh, it it is because there is a clear disinformation and counterintelligence purpose behind yeah. it. Maybe it's not the main purpose, but there's some there's certainly counterintelligence overtones within all of this, and. It really begs the question, is, is Elizondo conducting some kind of like counterintelligence uh, a project using UFOs as a cover-up, you know? Mm. Are, are, yeah. are, are, you, are UFO enthusiasts, you know, all the people who like to tweet about UFOs, UFO Twitter, are they being duped and exploited by Elizondo for some ulterior motive? Probably. Yeah, that's that's what I think. But uh, obviously, maybe we will not find out until years and years later, and after you know, Elizondo disappears from the map, if he disappears from the map, which is my suspicion, unless he actually goes and and and, and gets uh, elected 
uh, to Congress <laughs> representing yeah. Wyoming as 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 he claims he wants to do it in the years to come. I don't know, um, but it, you know, it's, it really is complicated. The, the thing with him, too, is, you know, he's doing talks and stuff where he's showing the wrong slides. He's showing slides of fake stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that to me, okay, so who does something like that? If you're an expert, if you want to be taken seriously, you're not going to do that. Um, so either he didn't really care or it's it, it's he just doesn't it's not um the main you know like you're trying to see who's paying attention i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah 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 or he just had someone do it and he's like yeah i don't care this isn't really the the whole point of this anyway so just put together whatever yeah yeah i don't know i mean there, there, there's there's obviously things that he says that if you do a fact check you realize it's not true. Like you said, you know, that that slideshow that that he gave in Italy in which he showed this photograph. He claimed he was a, a real photograph that was taken during the big UFO wave over Washington, D.C. in 1952. And everybody with a cursory interest in, in UFOs knows that that photo is actually fake. It's something that was taken uh not during the, the UFO wave, but it actually some kind of like reflection uh, of lights taken from from some kind of like a pool or lake uh, that is in front of the Capitol building. Right. And other things that he said in, 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 in one podcast, I think it's called Theories of Everything with this guy, Kurt... I don't remember his last name, but in his in uh, his first appearance on that on that uh, podcast, and he's been there several times. He said some some things to Kurt that were simply not true. Like they were they were starting to talk about angels because Kurt is uh, is also interested in philosophy and religion and all that. And Elizondo told him that the word angel comes from the Greek Angelios, that that is derived from the word Helios, you know, which is the name, the Greek name for the sun. Right. So kind of like saying, yeah, and, and angels are luminous or bright beings, you know, and that's the reason why, why in antiquity they were called angels. And, you know, I'm no expert in, in Greek or Latin. I just had, a, you know, a cursory studies in etymology when I was in high school, but I know that's not true, <laughs> you know, angel, uh, yes, it's a Greek word, but it's, it only, it only means messenger, you know, that's the, 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 in, in religion, in, in, you know, the Judeo-Christian religion, the idea of the angel is, it's a messenger from God, someone right. who comes from the heavens, you know, to impart some kind of like message, message to humanity, in general, or maybe to someone in particular, mm-hmm. but it's nothing to the effect of you know, oh yeah, these are luminous beings or whatever. You know, actually, if you go into the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament, uh, you can see that there are encounters of with angels or angelic beings that are described almost as you know normal human beings. Yep. You know? You know, there's, there's, there's that famous story of uh, Abraham 
greeting three strangers to his tent because he recognizes them as being, uh, it's, it's confusing, it's either the Lord and two of his uh, companions or three, you know, messengers from, from the Lord. And they, they told that they tell him that they are on their way to Sodom to destroy it, destroy the, the city of, of sin and corruption and all that. But yeah, I mean, Abraham greets these, these uh, people, these, these three men, you know, he invites them to his tent and he, he I, I think he even puts food you know, to them, for them to eat, you know, so, uh, so, I mean, this is not going to be a Bible, uh, a Bible uh, school lesson, guys, don't worry, but just to show that with Elizondo, there's a lot of things he says that are simply not factual. Yeah. The one, the, the, the few things that we can actually corroborate, because there are the, the, the majority of the things he says we cannot corroborate because he simply says, well, I can talk into that or, or, you know, I've seen these documents or I've seen these things, but I cannot reveal that because I have to fulfill my non-disclosure agreements and my oaths to the government. Right. You know? but if and he, we cannot. Yeah. If he's getting really simple things wrong, like that, that, you know, slideshow, why would, should we believe any of the stuff we can't verify when he can't even put up something simple that's correct well yeah exactly you know how reliable is his uh recollection of all these things that he says he saw that are classified if he is so unreliable with the things that are not classified exactly and, and again if they're classified he still wouldn't be able to talk about them this goes back to so many of these things where people are like oh i saw this stuff that i can't talk about here's what it is <laughs> right it's like if you weren't allowed to talk about it you wouldn't be talking about it because you would either be actually silenced or you know you would know better yeah hey uh th this is in addition to this and it's an aside at the same time but have either of you seen the new top gun movie no no i haven't and i want to yeah I i'm gonna go check it out just cause but uh and spoilers, so maybe cover your ears for people that uh, are going to watch it that aren't us. But they have uh, a, a play on the Dark Star in the film uh, with Lockheed um, uh, emblems all over it and everything as if it's a test project in Nevada. And that's hmm. part of some of the opening. But I was just fascinated in if people are bored and want to look it up, you can go look up where uh, some of the making of featurettes where they talk about this partnership to make it look like it's a real jet. And I, I thought it was so interesting that they got Lockheed to put their name on it and collaborate for something that may or may not have existed. But I'm like, it's almost like you're throwing fuel on the fire for that. So why are you doing this? Yeah. It's deliberate. They always use that. I mean, even when uh, the film, the film's plot is uh, science fiction. You know, it's about you know, like Independence Day and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and battle with 
alien invasions and whatnot. Right. Uh, and the U.S. government and the military has found that it, 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 this kind of uh, Hollywood movies are great propaganda machines. Right. For them. And, and, and they come are very almost like free recruitment tools. Yeah. Right, you know, right. That in, in which there's going to be probably some 18 year old kid who's going to see that movie and is going to see, yeah, I want to I want to fly a, a, a secret plane too, like Maverick, man. I mean, how yeah. many people were probably uh, decided to get a career in the Air Force or the Navy because of the original Top Gun in the 1980s? Absolutely. Right, right. Absolutely, and, and some of the some of the movies are way more obvious propaganda than others. Right, right, mm -hmm. yeah. I I was curious though with the Dark Star being made into the film because it, it's propaganda, but I tie it back to some of the UAP stuff too, where you know there's insinuation that this is uh, secret government tech. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, so. You know, and, and I totally agree. Like I, the Top Gun movies, and there's so much stuff that's propaganda. And of course, you have that. What, what's the office at the Pentagon that partners with films? Um, that I don't basically, remember. if they, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, anyway, where you know they go through the scripts and decide if they're going to help you or not because it's got to portray them in a certain light, and they yes. want. I mean, in there, and the the way I understand it, each um, branch of uh, the military have their own. Uh, liaisons on in Hollywood, you know, doing that, you know, checking scripts and and helping as consultants mm -hmm. to ensure that not only that the things that are portrayed in the film are as accurate as as possible, but also that there are not things, there are no things within the film that could you know you know be conflicted with. Uh, the government's interests. Yeah, it was one of the reasons why it's it's so famous the story of uh, the Air Force telling the guys who directed the film Independence Day in, in 1990, I want to say 1994. Yes. Uh, like they that, yeah. said, yeah, we want to help you out with this movie. We're really excited about it, but we need you to do us a favor. You cannot mention the existence of Area 51. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and, and there's so much, you know, they, they do stuff like that, but then they're also kind of the ones that seem to have leaked Area 51. Yes. I'm guessing, I'm guessing yeah. after they move to a different, their actual secret stuff to another location. Right, yeah. right. Because then you point it to the former location, you're like, ooh, look, look there, don't look anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, to draw your attention away from other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, remember that movie uh, Broken Arrow with John John Travolta and what's it? Christian, Christian Slater. Slater. Yeah, yeah they, they they also you know talk about uh, a, a secret um, uh, spy plane mm -hmm. and the idea of yeah that they go and and chase the uh, scare the cows and also scare the farmers who probably you know think that they saw a UFO. Uh, there was all that uh, uh, inserted into the movie. In, in, even the idea of these CIA consultants, who's because the, the, they they have one of these planes crashing, so 
they say, well, we need to come up with a cover story. And the guys say, no way, no way. We actually need to tell the truth because otherwise we're going to look silly because all we have all these uh, uh, amateur researchers you know, like and also popular mechanics reporters who know about this project, and they 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 go and they look in, they, they they go into the desert with their you know photo lenses and binoculars, so they will know that something crashed. And we, we and we if we come up with some kind of like BS story, we're just gonna look silly. So it was kind of like a an interesting take of saying, oh yeah, the government, they we we try to cover our secrets, but if if need be, we will tell the truth to the public. And you never right. know which they're doing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. they mix I mean, it all together. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that happened uh, uh, during these uh, recent uh, hearings at the Congress, I don't know if you guys actually bothered to nope. to to watch it. I, I did, <laughs> twice. You, you watched it for us. I yes. watched it for you. Uh <laughs> And there were there were so many parts of it in which uh, the people running, you know, the task force said, "Yeah, we will disclose this. We will disclose this to you behind closed doors." You know, like there was going to be a, a, a classified part of the of the hearings. Not one of those uh, congressmen objected to that. You know, everybody not. said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to obviously we need to safeguard." Our secrets, uh, you know, from from the prying eyes of or prying ears of uh, America's uh, enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, this idea of the thing that with the hearing with these hearings, there was more the idea promoted by by, by this exercise of. Of, of these guys saying what we can't tell to the public is not because we were this where we're holding the existence of UFOs and extraterrestrial life is because we need to withhold uh, procedures uh, uh, and capabilities uh, that are very sensitive to the you know to America's you know warfare machine you know yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and UFOs have always been caught up in that type of thing, and always been caught up in these disinformation stuff. I mean, you don't see it so much in in other paranormal fields like Bigfoot or or ghosts or any, or even, I mean, you get it a little, I guess, in psi research, but it doesn't seem like they really. I mean, they were hiding the fact that they were using remote viewing, but they right. weren't. Uh, you know, it's not like with the UFO stuff. With the UFO stuff, it's very. Uh, very much used for political gain. It is, and you know, to your point about that, it, I always got the idea that it was always done to make you speculate that we were further along in our, our warfare methods, technology than uh, we might be or might not be. You know, kind of, kind of a bluff or something like that, to where like keeping everything shifting. Uh, where we think, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess, ability to wage war is, you know, beyond what we can, uh, beyond what we regularly see, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah, 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 but, absolutely. But, 
But with the size stuff, yeah, it's you know it was never weaponized in that way of pushing propaganda of strength. The way you know, do they do they have crash flying saucers? Are they incorporating into their airplanes? Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or at the same time, also saying, "Oh, you're crazy for being interested in this stuff," right? You know. Yeah, it's also because the the, the government. The preferred way to deal with paranormal sp- stuff is to just to uh, don't pay attention to it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, as long as it doesn't interfere with their activities, they just like let it be. I remember this article that Nick Redfern wrote years ago for Mysterious Universe, something about... Uh, the people that were spying or, on Lady Diana Spencer back when she had uh, left Prince Charles and she was she was having an affair. So there were people from MI6 uh, following her and I mean spying her activities and, and even having a car with uh, you know even. I think if memory serves, maybe there was even a sniper or something just to like protect uh, Lady D. Uh, obviously, totally unknown to her. But in in this particular story, these spies they detected that in the premises or, or, or from where Diana was meeting her lover, they detected an. Uh, one of those alien big cats that are mm. so famous um, that appear on Britain oh, wow. from time to time. Yeah, and I mean, they, they they notice it with their infrared cameras and whatnot, but obviously, since that was not part of their mission, <laughs> they just let uh, you know the cat go by unharmed you know they didn't shoot at it or something they didn't try to like catch it because that's not what they were there for they were there just to you know keep an eye on lady d and i feel that's probably what happens on 99.9 percent of the time in which the ufo and the paranormal cross paths with uh the military you know as long as it doesn't really interfere with military activities, they say, ah, well, you know, one of those things is like almost like your mom and, and you guys, uh, uh, Inframan, yeah. finding those tracks is like, okay, well, you know, I mean, it's not really affecting us in any, in, you know, particular way. So let's let it, let, let it be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With your phones. Now they're paying attention to it because, because, they are interfering with military activity and they are and they are uh, getting getting more uh, engaged with Navy vessels and, and and you know invading restricted airspace. But obviously I, it's probably that 90% of those incursions are the result of drone technology. you know yeah. there's nothing really you know out of this world out of it. Although probably not in 1953. <laughs> That's true too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, go ahead, Sarah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, some of the stuff that is public knowledge that's out there, but necessarily hasn't been deployed yet. 
looks a lot like uh, photos we've seen the last few years of, you know, a big triangle with small triangles around it. Um, you know, and, and that's probably the uh, the next the, the replacement for the B2 with um, basically using, you know, a drone aircraft that accompany it so they can all span out together and these kinds of things. And that's something that uh, I forget who develops V2. Uh, I, I wish I remembered that right now. But they're <laughs> fairly candid about doing Northrop. it. Northrop. Northrop. There we go. Northrop yeah. Grumman. Yeah. So, you know, those things are out there. and uh, But at the same time, that, that doesn't mean there's not weird stuff happening in this guy's too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? It's just harder and harder to tell what the weird stuff is anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't, it, people occasionally will tell me a story, and I'll be like, "Okay, no, that's weird," you know. Yeah. But, but other times, it's like, "Well, that sounds weird, but it also could have been something known." Right, right. So, you know, I, I've shared videos with y'all in the Slack of uh, you know drones flying five feet above the ground at two hundred miles an hour. Um, I, I came across a video earlier in the week. And uh, it's a drone that's probably, I don't know, maybe five inches, six inches by six inches. And it's zipping around hay bales right as uh, the sun is setting. And so it's very dusky out. And it's lit up bright green. Uh, And yeah, um, and if you couldn't hear the drone sound, it looks like, um, you know, a ball lightning or something. It's so creepy looking. And uh it's this guy's little drone. And it, those are the kind of things I'm like, it's going to be so hard to figure out what anomalous lights are now. Yeah. Cause yeah. things like well, this. And don't they have stuff as small as insects at this point? Uh, I think so. I, I've seen drones, you know, like things you could buy for kids for Christmas that are, you know, basically, uh, I don't know about two inches across. Yeah. So they obviously got smaller stuff if that's coming out for kids. Right, right, exactly. And the other mm-hmm. thing that, that I think people miss, look how actual whistleblowers are treated. Um, mm. You know, any anyone in the last 20 years who's actually blown the whistle on something the government is doing, and they are persecuted as far as the government can. But yet, mm-hmm. if you, quote, blow the whistle on UFOs, suddenly you're fine? Yeah, so either you're being used and, you know, you think you're blowing the whistle and that's exactly what they want you to do, or you're just lying. Right, right. Yeah. The the only person uh, that I can think of that experienced any ramifications was, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember his name. He, he Gary McKinnon. Yes. He's yeah. the only one. And I wonder if that had more to do with where he, what he got into. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. as, as opposed to what, you know, he saw or thinks he saw or claims he saw. Almost certainly. Because what he, even what he saw, he didn't have any proof for, and it didn't necessarily mean what he thought it meant. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it might have. I mean, there, there certainly could be a, a, a contingent of the military that is active in space that we're not aware of. Mm-hmm. But. You know, like, I, yeah, I think it's more that he was able to hack the system that they were upset about. Right, right. Yeah, but he's the only one. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know. 
All right, we're uh, out of time. And Julian Assange, obviously. And who? Yeah, yeah, Julian Assange, Edward Snowden. I mean, yeah, but that's what know. I'm saying. Look at so, what they did to those guys. Yeah, those guys had to flee the country, and you know they're in fear for their lives a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it wasn't because of UFO stuff. No, it was not. No. All right, we're Although, out. Of- you know, ironically, yeah, just one. Of, ironically, Julian Assange and the you know WikiLeaks that happened uh, during the. Uh, uh, Trump Clinton campaign was the thing that uh, blew the lead to the whole, you know, ATIP and, and the New York Times uh, article eventually. I did not make that connection. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Huh. All right. Well, we can continue talking in the Patreon segment. Uh, but thank you both for coming on. Um, Red Pill, where can people find you? <laughs> In my house drawing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still writing for the Daily Grail uh, sporadically, obviously. And I, st- I still have my my web page, which I have neglected uh, tremendously during this year. I'll try to update it more frequently. AbsurdByDesign.com, and well, obviously, my main goal still is to finish the the ufology tarot deck by the end of the year. You know, knocking a wood here. And once that finished, I will, I will go and hibernate for a few years. <laughs> to rest. And then, and then you'll do all the uh, the other cards for the deck. Oh God, no. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have to finish playing the major arcana. <laughs> uh, all right. And Super Inframan can only be found if you put up the signal in the sky. Exactly, exactly. Get your local uh, Super Science Patrol team. They can help me. Or sometimes on Discord or Instagram. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you both. Thank you, Shara. Thank you. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show wouldn't be possible. And I especially want to shout out to those pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Inframans, 36 Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Sherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Crystal Ann Compton, Diane B., Duffy Doubter, Edu Camahort, Empty K., Eric Citron, Eric Todd, J. Otto Bullet, James Lattimore, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Bowley, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stone Wilderness, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., and Amber Hall. Thank you all so very, very much. All right, there's a Patreon segment with this that's probably as long as the show. 
where we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. And I'm going to take you out with some Kimberly Freeman of One Eyed Doll. This is a track called Overdose. Comes off her 2009 album Sleep. And I will see you next time.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.